We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. The Cowboys are 1-0, moving on to another football powerhouse that is South Alabama. Joining me as always is Kyle Porter. Kyle, what's going on? Well, at least it's an FBS school and not an FCS. We're, we're, we're moving up the food chain here. Yeah, it's just a step above uh, you know, Jinx High School from last <laughs> week. Well, and then you get Boise. So you, you go from, uh, although I guess Boise is better than half or more of the Big 12 teams. So you kind of go way up the food chain and then maybe back down a little bit with Kansas and some of those games. Oh boy, that Boise game looks a lot more daunting now, doesn't it, after the, the opener? I mean, I, look, Oklahoma State looked great, and we're going to get into this with our guest, Mark Cooper, but there was some concerns, at the uh, namely at the quarterback position. You and I addressed it on our, our post-game show that we did a, a day or two after the game, but man, this, this South Alabama game all, all of a sudden becomes very important just from a quarterback standpoint, does it not? Yeah, I, I think I'm writing about this later in the week. I, it's... <laughs> Part of the problem, part of the, I'm part of the problem. Part of the problem of like the sports blog, internet, Twitter world is that you have to create. You have to you have to have content throughout the week. You have to fill stuff up, and and that's not to say that there wouldn't be like we would be talking about this stuff whether sports blogs existed or not. But sometimes it gets a little overcooked. I think from game to game, so. Yes, I agree with you. Game two is is kind of a big one for Taylor Cornelius, but I I do wonder are we are we making too big of a deal out of it? I feel like every time I've heard Mike heard Mike Gundy talk, he seems like he, Cornelius is just the guy. Like there's not a there's not a plan B, and I'm curious to see if that is, holds true if he starts out, you know, two for seven against Boise or something like that. Yeah, I mean, didn't he act like that when when Whedon was backing up Zach, too? I mean, I know they were running the Zach Robinson offense, which didn't really fit Brandon Whedon, but didn't, didn't he act like Whedon was just a non-option at all, even when uh, Zach was playing with one arm? I feel like he does that with no matter who the backups are. Well, and he, he said it about Mason uh, on Monday during his – on Labor Day during his press conference. He was talking about, well, you know, Mason couldn't have started at this point in his career. Uh, talking about, like, two weeks into his freshman year, essentially. And he's like, I still didn't really know what we were getting in week 10 or whatever it was that he started against Baylor. And so, yeah, he, he does have a tendency to do that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I, I do think that – I think Saturday is a big deal for Cornelius, and and people keep keep people keep pushing the narrative that well it was, he was just a little he was a little jumpy. I, I've heard both like he was a little jumpy and also he was a little hesitant. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure which one it is. Uh, but he wasn't, you know. Gundy said he only missed like three throws. Uh, he had two picks, or he should have had two picks. I guess he had one. I don't know. I just, I don't know how, I don't know what to kind of sort through as gospel truth and what is just sort of, you know, propping up the all is, all is well front in Stillwater. Well, I believe he was three of nine on passes further than like 10, 15 yards, which is, you know, that's, that's a huge part of Oklahoma State's offense to the point where Yursich was trying to just get him throws along the line of scrimmage just to get him going there at certain points. So it comes down to Kyle against South Alabama. If he still can't hit any deep balls, I mean, that's that's what their offense is predicated on, running the football and then going over the top. 
if he at a certain point if he can't run the actual offense and they're protecting him, then I think you got to look at, at Drew Brown or Spencer Sanders. But you're right. I think the way Gundy's talking is like, well, Cornelius better play good or else, you know, that's that's all we're gonna that's, we're gonna ride him. <laughs> we're we're not going to the other two is what it sounded like. And and I brought it up on the podcast last week, Kyle, that I would play Wood T to preserve those four games, and that's exactly what yeah, Gundy ended up great. doing. But Great my call. entire but my entire mindset is completely flipped from last week. I didn't anticipate Cornelius looking that rough against an FCS school. Now I'm to the point where you're not worried about the four. You're worried about this season. You're worried about who can play quarterback, and you need to find out if Drew Brown can play at all. I think Gundy's biggest concern is does he know the offense? He he praises him for picking it up quickly, but I think that's as much as any reason why he's not playing is he just doesn't trust him to know the offense. Did you see Jim Knowles compare uh, Taylor Cornelius? Can we call him TC, by the way? Taylor Cornelius is too difficult to say. TC? Corndog, Baron, Will Baron. Yeah. Something. Uh, Cornelius Cornelius is not hard for me to say. I well, Remember, you're remember in... Gundy called him Cornelson like last year? <laughs> yeah, like last year. It wasn't like yeah. four years ago. <laughs> no, it was like last year when he was the backup. <laughs> uh. That's why he calls people by their number. You don't want to screw up the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he talked on Monday about how he prides himself on knowing everybody's name, like everybody on the like all 135 guys. He just chooses to call them by a numeral. <laughs> uh, Jim Knowles compared uh, Corn Dog to Eli Manning on Saturday. In what way? Uh, I I'm not totally sure. I just choose to take that that out of context. Well, he had he had the Manning face going on. I know that. <laughs> he looked a little lost there. At times. I think he, I think he was basically saying like it doesn't. I think this is what he's saying. It doesn't always look pretty, but he is just a like good game manager. Knows what he's doing. Gets the job done. Whatever. And again, like I keep hearing that narrative. And what I watched on Thursday was not. It wasn't that. It it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't any of those things. Well, he's throwing, he was throwing off his back foot. It was just nothing was good about it. Mechanics were off, his yeah. demeanor, everything about it. So that my question to you, Kyle, is what if he plays like that in the first half uh, mm-hmm. against South Alabama? Do you start the second half with Drew Brown? And look, I know Mike Gundy knows these guys better than we do. He gets to watch yeah. practice. So Drew Brown might stink for all I know. Yeah, but I'm just but I, I think you gotta tr- like there's certain guys play better in games too. So you gotta see if he can play. I don't Gundy Gundy has become super self aware over the last eight years or whatever, especially the last few years. He has to be self aware enough to not trust himself when it comes to evaluating backup quarterbacks. I just you just look at the track record. He basically said like Whedon's not good enough, and then he gets drafted in the first round of the NFL draft two years later. <laughs> he tries to bury Chelf three different times. <laughs> And he almost and wins Ch- the Big Twelve. And Chelf could have. He led a game-winning drive and for the Big Twelve championship <laughs> twice, twice I think, because he led one in Norman. I don't know if that was to win the league or not. Uh, that was when they like won like eight or nine games. That wasn't to win the league, but but yeah, I mean, Chelf ended up becoming one of the better quarterbacks he's had, and he tried to bury him three different times behind West Lunt and J.W. Walsh twice. And then if Dax doesn't get hurt, there we don't. Mason Rudolph might transfer. I don't know. Gundy might be the coach at Georgia Tech. <laughs> actually, Baylor. Actually, think about that. If Dax doesn't get hurt, this could be Rudolph's senior year. Yes and no. He could have. He could also left with Washington. Yeah. 
man, this team would be pretty good with, with Mason Rudolph at quarterback. Okay, uh, we need to get to our Coop Works guests of the week. Coop Works bring great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale, or the refreshing Horny Toad Blonde. For your next watch party tailgate or get together with friends, enjoy a cold Coop Works. And please remember to drink responsibly. Carson, we are going to call uh, Mark Cooper of the Tulsa World. And uh, I guess just kind of get his thoughts on the quarterback situation and uh, just kind of what's what's going on in Stillwater right now. All right, joining us right now is beat writer for Tulsa World, Mark Cooper, covers Oklahoma State football. Mark, uh, we were just talking before we had you on about uh, the season opener against Missouri State. Um, are you as concerned about Taylor Cornelius as uh, Kyle and I are? Probably not. Uh, I, I don't know where you guys stand in terms of uh, compared to everybody I hear from via Twitter and, and via email. I think I got more emails this week than I might have in most weeks last season, and almost all related to Drew Brown and Spencer Sanders. So uh, <laughs> I think the fan base obviously is um, on high alert in terms of their quarterback. Uh, but I, I want to see more. I think he obviously struggled throwing the ball deep, and, and that's going to become a problem if, if it doesn't improve. Uh, but I thought his decision making was decent. I, I didn't think even you know the interception, uh, the deep ball that almost got intercepted. I didn't think those were uh, awful decisions. I just thought they were sort of poor execution. Times where he's throwing off his back foot, and uh, I, you know, I think I also think you have to defer a little bit to Mike Gundy and Mike Yurcich and their belief that if Cornelius lets it rip and plays with some confidence, that'll be a little bit better. So uh, I think the jury's still out for me. I want to see a little bit more. I I tend to like that he got the ball in the hands of the running backs as often as he did, given how, how good they seem to be. So so maybe that's a positive sign. But um, I'm not ready to kind of pull the plug on Cornelius yet. Mark, has there been any talk in Stillwater sort of behind the scenes? I know that Gundy and, and the coaches sort of put up this very confident front about who Cornelius is and, and how good Oklahoma State can be with him. Do you think there's any, like, plan B type talk behind the scenes uh, of, of just what they do if, if it goes badly and say the first half against Boise or anything like that? I mean, I'm sure there is. I'm, I'm not necessarily privy to, to what's kind of going through Mike Gundy's head and, and the different scenarios. I'm sure those things are playing out. Uh, I was thinking about this yesterday and the Keandre Woodty coming in and, and that sort of strange number two quarterback position that they've got right now. And, Woodkey going into that game almost makes me feel like they are pretty confident in Cornelius because if they didn't believe Cornelius was going to be the starter for all 12 games, what's the point in not playing Drew Brown right now? Because if Cornelius isn't going to be your starter, then Drew Brown's not going to redshirt. And so there's not really a point in holding him back early in the year unless you do believe that Cornelius is going to be good enough to take you through the entire season. So uh, I, I don't think that they're they're sort of putting up a front in what they say about him. I think that they, they do actually believe it, but I, I like, I do believe that I'm sure that they have talked about, or at least thought about, you know, what if you get into that Boise state game and, and he's a little shell shocked and turns the ball over once or twice and you have to make a move. Who do you go with? I think it would obviously be drew Brown. He seems to be ahead of Spencer Sanders in their mind. Um, but I do think that their confidence in Cornelius is pretty genuine. Well, it sure sounded like it this offseason. I, I do agree, Mark. I think that's the plan is to redshirt both those guys. But I do think even Gundy and Yursich had to raise their eyebrows a little bit with 
with the inaccuracy that Cornelius had to where I do, I do think they need to reevaluate it come South Alabama. As you mentioned, if he's still missing throws, uh, I think you got to throw in Drew Brown and see if he can play before you get to Boise. But just the question I have for you is, that, what have you heard about Drew Brown? I mean, I like him. I like his potential. I like the the film I've seen on him on Hawaii. He he, I made the comparison. He looks to me like Baker Mayfield ultralight. You know, he just kind of plays like him. Uh, what have you heard about him? Do you think he can play, or have you heard anything about him at all? Is it just kind of behind the scenes? Yeah, you know, I think he can play. Uh, I think what's kind of interesting is the quarterback at Hawaii right now is number three in the country in passing yards per game, and he's thrown like nine touchdowns with no interceptions in their first two games. They've already played twice, and he's averaging 420 yards passing per game. And that kind of has me wondering, is that Hawaii right now, would he be their starting quarterback, or would he have been passed by the guy that they have there who's – uh, putting up massive numbers early on this season now, uh, which is sort of it's just sort of interesting in, in an aside. Uh, I, I mean, I watched Drew Brown's you know film at Hawaii as we all did, and, and the highlight tapes, and you know those Baker Mayfield you know esque comparisons. I think everybody made those, especially uh, once you got to fall camp and you see him running around wearing the number six jersey on top of everything else. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think I think he's a competitor. Uh, everything I've heard is that. You know, Mike Gundy has said this, but even from from other people, is that he's grasped pretty fast, which I think I guess you'd expect from a graduate transfer who's who's been around quite a long time. And so I don't think uh, I wouldn't have any hesitations about him going into the game and and seeing what he could do. Um, I just tend to to you know kind of trust that Gundy and Nurses can get something right. Uh, you know, I was talking to a couple people about this yesterday when I was over in Stillwater, and uh, the talk right now almost reminds me a little bit of 2014 when I remember that August there was so much sort of hype about well we haven't seen Dax Garman play but he's going to be really really good and then he gets out there and and obviously he plays well against poor competition but I sort of remember that August there were a lot of people who thought Dax Garman should be the guy over J.W. Walsh and and that turned out you know if Walsh stayed healthy the head coach had that one right I tend to wonder if this is kind of a similar scenario I think Drew Brown has already proven that he's probably a more efficient quarterback than Dax Garman. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I tend to, to trust that Cornelius is the guy. So what I'm hearing you say is that Spencer Sanders is the next Mason Rudolph. Yeah, in that scenario, game number uh, game number 11, and, and the good news <laughs> for OSU is he could he – uh, the good news for OSU is can come in and play Bedlam and play TCU and play West Virginia and play the bowl game. And come back next season and be a registered freshman. Yeah, I love that's the best I, of both worlds, right? I love that scenario. Uh, you wrote a little bit about the offensive line uh, following the first game. Uh, I'm I'm curious about uh, just did did anything in terms of the offensive line and the way that they played, the way they rotated people in and out. Did any of that surprise you, or was a lot of a lot of it what you expected going into game one against Missouri State? Uh, a little, it, a little bit. Surprised me. Uh, what surprised me a little, uh, we saw Marcus Keith, and I don't know if that's he's slow. He was slower to come back from from his shoulder deal than, than we thought, or if it's he's played so much that they didn't need to see him against Missouri State. Um, but I'm really interested in the South Alabama and Boise State game to see how those reps shake out between Larry Williams, Shane Richards, uh, you know, Marcus Keith, and Deontay Noel. Uh, Noel is a guy who really wasn't on anybody's radar, and all of a sudden is is playing guard, playing a little bit at center, getting in there. Um, but I think this is uh, kind of a unique deal. I don't think they've had this, obviously, since the Joe Wickline era where 
they can kind of move different guards in and out of there. I didn't think the offensive line played all that great. I thought the the way they played in the red zone was especially concerning, and um, that's certainly an area to, watch, area to watch this weekend to see if they can get better at it. Um, but I, I wasn't surprised. I think that Josh Henson, uh, you know, we talk a lot about what Casey Dennis has meant to Oklahoma State. I think Josh Henson's at this point right up there in terms of how in just a year plus he's built up, not only built up their depth in terms of how he's recruited the position, but you're seeing the way he's developed guys, guys like Noel and Shane Richards and, and players who, you know, didn't get on the field in the previous regime are all of a sudden good enough to play in this offense. And uh, obviously they, they don't have to be as good as the line did in 2014 and 15 because they've got some talented running backs who can kind of make up for their mistakes too. Does Marcus Arroyo get like a cut of a check for a season salary for all the running backs he recruited to OSU? Because good Lord, they're loaded. <laughs> well, let's see. So, so Justice Hill uh, comes in. Uh, that's what Marcus Arroyo's first season, Justice Hill's on campus. No, his second season, Justice, Justice Hill's there. L.D. Brown is a Marcus Arroyo recruit. J.D. King is a Marcus Arroyo recruit. And Chuba Hubbard's a Marcus Arroyo recruit. So uh, he deserves one, right? Those are all his guys. There's there's no previous or current running back coach. Obviously, Wozniak hasn't been there very long, but this is his stable of running backs. There, there should be some sort of bonus or – uh, you know, maybe some sort of plaque in the locker room above their <laughs> locker that's, that's kind of dedicated to him, right? Uh, he's somebody who, uh, I don't know that, I mean, he's obviously a West Coast guy and, and it's really thriving at Oregon, but, you know, there's always so much talk about, well, who would the next guy be if Mike Gerson gets the job? If, if there was any way that, that OSU could lure him back, both uh, as a coach and especially as a recruiter, that would be a, a huge home run if Gerson if becomes a head coach and, and he comes back to Stillwater. Well, it takes some money because he's the OC at Oregon. Uh, they got some Nike money up there, but I just I think back Mark to when they had like Desmond Roland at running back and like nothing else, and just to see how far they've come. As you mentioned, LD Brown, all those guys were super impressive against Missouri State. Just, I mean, how, how impressed were you, obviously, with Justice and, and all those guys? In the 2015 season, so this was after Roland graduated. Obviously, Chris Carson came in, and, and he wasn't very good his first year. So there was a point in that year that Oklahoma State was relying on Raymond Taylor and Jeff Carr to supply a running game. Ray and Tay. now they're at a point where, yeah. <laughs> Ray Remember? Tay. And, forgot about him. And, and shifty Jeff Carr. And, uh, I forgot yeah, about was... Jeff Carr. <laughs> Jeff Carr, the, Jeff, the, Jeff Carr think... was like Jeff Carr was like a homeless man's Shuba Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> but... but Oklahoma State fans uh, and everybody watching the team, it had been such a dry spell for the running game and for the offensive line that people found ways to get as excited about those guys as they are about <laughs> Cuba Hubbard now. I remember there was a ton of people who were excited about Carr, uh, and and you know he played a bunch in his true freshman debut and, and everything else. And uh, now you look at the guys they have and the guys who aren't playing, and even the true freshman who's who's redshirting, I've heard, is going to be a pretty good player, Jamal Jeter. I don't know when he's actually going to get on the field because even if Justice Hill leaves, he's still got three guys in front of him. Uh, I've never really seen anything like this. I mean, you you hear about one, two punches. Can you guys – I mean, I don't know how much you guys have tried to think or, or research or anything. I can't think of a team that had four running backs that they could put on the field at any time and, and be this dynamic. And I will say the one of the things I really liked about their offense in the opener was the amount that they were willing to put two of those guys on the field at the same time. I think that's – going to be really dangerous when they get into big ball play yeah oklahoma state had who did they have back in like the late 
uh, 2000s, Carson, when they had uh, they had uh, Kendall Hunter. Did they have Toastin Hunter and somebody else on the same team? Like like two or three pros, but. Uh, they had yeah. uh, they had uh, Dantrell Savage, I think, with those guys. I think Hunter was a freshman. Okay, yeah. Um, so I think they had Toastin, Savage, and and uh, Hunter. That's the most loaded I can remember them being. And yeah, you're Joe, right. I think that was what oh seven. Yeah, when they went up to Nebraska and just destroyed Nebraska. Uh, but yeah, to to your point, uh, Mark, it, it is it's. It's crazy, and and I almost feel like this is part of the reason that they're so confident in in Cornelius is that he doesn't have to do a ton. It, it's like you're not. I I just don't feel like they're going to have to hit as many deep balls as they did with Rudolph and Washington. I mean, at times that became their entire offense, and Cornelius actually seems. I I feel like again I've seen three quarters of him play college football maybe more adept than Rudolph at hitting those eight yard passes, those five yard passes that Rudolph always seemed to struggle with. And, and I don't know if you're hitting, if you're hitting Chuba Hubbard in the flats and a five yard pass, like what, what a, you don't really have to do a ton. It, it doesn't feel like. Yeah. I, I remember on media day at the end of Mike Gundy's news conference, uh, he was talking about how, you know, as offensive coaches, they sort of order their playmakers and, who do we need to put the ball, whose hands yeah. do we need to put the ball in? And obviously this year, Justice Hill is number one. Their best, even their best passing offense right now might be Tylen Wallace or Tyron Johnson outside. You got Stoner and McCluskey on the field, and then Justice Hill and Chuba Hubbard standing side by side with Cornelius, and you send one of those guys in motion. And you know, four of those five guys aren't true deep threats. You got two inside receivers and two running backs, uh, but it's still a lot for a defense to cover, and it's a ton of speed and shiftiness on the field. So, so you're right. I, I was encouraged by the fact that Cornelius uh, sort of kept his eyes on his receivers. I was wondering how much he, at the first sign of pressure, would tuck the ball and run. And he didn't do that very often. And so that's probably a good sign to me that he was willing to stand in there and uh, you know look around, check down. That touchdown to Chuba Hubbard, you know, we all talk about the play Chuba Hubbard made. Cornelius let go of that ball and got demolished on that play. And so he stood in there and, and found a guy at the very last second, which, which was a really nice play on his part. So uh, you're right. I, I, I think they're still eventually going to need to throw the ball deep, but uh, not nearly as much because I think you're going to see these receipt, these running backs catch a whole lot more passes than they did last season. Is Tyron Johnson going to catch more than 18 balls this year? <laughs> <laughs> you would sure think so, right? Uh, but he was, he was kind of – the invisible man of that offense in week one, two catches, 13 yards. And I think those were his only two targets. I thought Tylen Wallace looked, you know, like the much, the guy that Cornelius seemed much more comfortable with. I think, uh, I don't know what, what his comfort level in practice is with Tyron Johnson, but he didn't seem to look Tyron Johnson's way very often. Uh, and you know, maybe part of that is Tyron Johnson, the, the deep threading Cornelius hasn't hit that yet. Um, but I look at their pecking order of receivers and all of a sudden Johnson's kind of the guy I, feel like he's got fourth this team in receptions uh by the way that that 07 team carson i think we talked about this before uh dantrell savage pro kendall hunter pro keith toaston pro zach was the quarterback pro des pro uh adarius bowman pro and brandon, oh. Pet- brandon Pettigrew pro wow that was one of Gundy's. That was one of Gundy's first recruiting classes too. I think it was his best one. Yeah, it's been all. How many it, pros are on this offense? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, 
if Tyron only catches like 33 balls in his college career, it's going to be difficult for me to see him uh, playing, <laughs> playing in the NFL. Uh, oh, that's tough. I mean, until he goes like, the combine and runs a four two nine. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Of guys that actually play, I mean, obviously uh, Justice is a pro. I think J.D. King is a pro. Uh, Ch- Chuba's, I, I, I guess, a pro. I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, put Chuba and Tylen Wallace in that sort of we'll see category, but yeah. possibly. Yeah. Dylan Stoner, I, maybe. Yeah, and then I, I think all I think all the running backs could play in the NFL. Wow. All four. <laughs> Uh, even Mark, the uh, even the walk-on who got into the game, whose name I learned, uh, Ryan Haymaker, he's got the best <laughs> name in the running backs. Uh, I didn't I didn't know he was on the team until he got a few carries in the fourth quarter the other night. But yeah, yeah, no, that that was great, uh, Mark. I, I wanted to ask you real quick, and and this will be my last one for you. But um, do, how how satisfied do you think Mike Gundy is right now, September fifth, with where? his defense is at uh, having brought in a new defensive coordinator, uh, more experience for the cornerbacks, all the things that we've talked about, how satisfied do you think he is with where they are after week one? I think he's pretty pleased. I think the only area that he would be a little concerned or worried is at the corner position because uh, they haven't really shown that they've got a third or fourth guy yet. You know, maybe Kima Sivaran becomes that guy. He, he seems to be at the top of that list right now, um, but that seems to be the one area of development. But I do think, uh, even though they played Missouri State, you could see places where Jim Knowles' pr- uh, presence is already showing. Uh, you know, first and foremost, the way he's using Calvin Bundage is uh, the way Calvin Bundage, I think, thrives as a defender. He's, you know, the, their third down package is is pretty unbelievable with the speed of of Bundage and Brailford coming off the edge. Uh, so I think you're seeing Knowles put guys in places where their skill set matches up and and they have the best chance to succeed uh and and so i think you have to be encouraged about that i you know i watched the way that Knowles used bundage and wondered why didn't glenn spencer and the defensive coaches use do that last year with him and so uh i i think that's probably the one place where we have to be satisfied with the development is he's not he's not just coming in and implementing his scheme and, and you know moving players around to fit his scheme he's he's looking at the players and uh, he said with Bundage, it was within the first 60 days of, of him arriving in Stillwater that he watched Bundage play and say, we need to line him up on the edge on third down and just let him run free. And so I, I liked that response from Knowles, and, and I think you got to be happy. Obviously, uh, you know, a couple weeks from now, we could be talking after the Boise State game, and uh, Brett Ripien could have thrown for 350 yards, and, you know, it's not all happy anymore. But right now, I think you have to be. Yeah, wait and see for me as well on defense. All right, last question, Mark, before you go. Uh, first... Percentage chance Taylor Cornelius ends the season at quarterback, and then uh, plug your plug your podcast you got going on. Oh God, percentage chance! I'm really bad at this. Barring uh, barring injury, say, barring injury, of course. Excluding injury, or yeah. just inclu- including the possibility of injury. Well, if I mean barring injury, I'm talking just quality of play. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go fifty-five percent. I'm gonna I'm gonna set it just above fifty because I I do think he's gonna end up playing better than he showed in that first game, um, but I could, obviously I, I could be wrong. So I gotta set it above fifty percent. I think he's still the favorite to finish finish the season. But um, you know, given the redshirt rule too, and if the season does go south, it wouldn't surprise me if if one of those other guys gets their chance. And uh, yeah, you you mentioned it. Thanks, Carson. Uh, yeah, we launched uh, a Tulsa World Oklahoma State podcast 
uh, just a couple weeks ago. It's kind of on a weird schedule this week because, as I mentioned to you guys before I came on, my sister's getting married this weekend, so I'm back in upstate New York for a couple of days. Um, but it'll it'll typically be myself and, and Bill Haston and, and sometimes Garen Emig, uh, you know, just sort of doing what we do, talking about Oklahoma State football. Good stuff. All the, all the people that we have on to actually make this podcast credible and good. So you guys should go go listen to that as well. <laughs> no, <laughs> By the way, you, you guys you guys do a great job. You 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 I came on. I, you, I do think. Uh, go ahead. You came on saying that you felt probably uh, more confident than, or, or you weren't as worried as we were. Fifty five percent is not that high. I feel like I'm higher than fifty five percent. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm low. I might think about this later and and think that it it deserves to be a little bit higher. If you had to ask me yes or no, my answer would be yes, but yeah, not yeah. with super high confidence. They I'm about I'm about four, I'm about forty percent. They should have they should have started Wood T against Missouri State and then just start the other three for four games each and just redshirt everybody. <laughs> Can't redshirt yeah, Cordelia. Uh, I mean, they could have gotten John Kolar in there in the fourth. <laughs> <Missouri State. laughs> play play all, play all five. Yeah. Uh, that's good stuff. Okay, hey Mark, have a good week. Uh, enjoy New York, and uh, we will talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Carson. See you okay, tomorrow. talk to you later. Carson, uh, I thought that Mark had a really good point about uh, the transfer thing, how guys come in and, and every every school does this, every or excuse me, every fan base at every school does this, is you think, oh, well, that guy, that guy's going to succeed here. I know he didn't work out at uh, – and I know Drew Brown's a little bit different than this, but I know he didn't work out. I know Dax didn't work out at School X, but, but here, cowboy culture, he, he's going to thrive. And it's like, well, uh, maybe, but there's there's kind of a reason that guys transfer, and I th- I think especially at that position, it's just not often that you see guys transfer and have a ton of success elsewhere because a lot of times the reason you're transferring is because you weren't good enough at the place that you were at. Yeah, and I think that's important to remember because remember when when Drew transferred, everyone was like, well, he started at Hawaii, but he. He's transferring to go play at a big, at a bigger level, a, a better level. He wants to play in the Big 12. That was kind of the narrative we all kind of assumed. Well, it, as Mark pointed out, that quarterback Hawaii is lighting it up. Maybe he, yeah. he maybe he knew he was going to not uh, start, so that's why he transferred. Um, so that that's important to remember as well that that Drew Brown might not be this. You know, the the backup quarterback is always the most popular player, and then especially if someone transfers and has played at a at a Power Five school, then they're immediately the most popular so i do agree with with you and him that you know maybe maybe cornelius is the best option maybe gundy got this one right but i i need to just like i needed to see it with cornelius i need to be disproven and see it with brown before i before i really believe one way or the other so would you would you would you give cornelius the first half and brown the second half against south alabama i would i mean i um wow I think because the, the way you look at it, Kyle, like how many how many blowouts is OSU really going to have on their schedule? These two, Kansas, Kansas, that's three. That's basically it, right? Yeah, Baylor. Maybe. I, don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I it's it's maybe right at four, um, but they've already played one, which is why I would have played Woody against Missouri State as well. So let's let's look at the schedule here. Missouri State, that's one's over. South Alabama, that's a gimme. 
that's one where Brown could play. That's one. Boise, Tech, Kansas, that's two. Iowa State, K-State, Texas, Baylor, that's three. Oklahoma, West Virginia, TCU. So like, it's not like there's six games in which they're, they're going to need a mop-up quarterback. So I'm trying to find out if, if Brown can play. And if he can't, well, then, of course, you ride Cornelius through the meat of your schedule. Um, but I would... Like again, I, I was the one sitting here saying I'm not playing Brown or Sanders in the non-conference basically until Boise. <laughs> now, after what I saw, I'm definitely playing one or both to see what they can do. Now, again, South Alabama's terrible. They got killed in their first game, so really, I'm not sure how much you can learn. I, I do need to see some, some positive steps forward though before I go to Boise or before Boise comes to town. My my mindset is totally shifted after what I saw. I I was. More discouraged than I guess most after what because it just it looked bad and and again the play that Cornelius took off running, Justice Hill and like two other guys are wide open. It's an easy touchdown if he just throws the the ball. He he missed, even throws he didn't make. He missed wide open guys a lot too. After I went back and watched it, so that's that's even more discouraging than just missing some throws, which Gundy hasn't really talked about. I have a question. Yeah, how did that 2017 go seven and six? Their defense, Kyle, was probably the worst one Gundy's had. I, I'm not. I'm not joking. Go look at those scores. Do you have the scores pulled up? Oh, I have the scores pulled up. How many times did they give up? Thirty or more. They well, their off their offense wasn't. Yeah, their offense was pretty awesome. They gave that up. Was, uh, that was that was the year they finished perfectly balanced, right? Rushing and receiving, or rushing so. and passing. Just Gundy's ab- abs- absolute dream. He has that uh, box score from the season framed in his <laughs> office, I'm pretty sure. They gave up 33-plus eight times. Oh, my God. That's even worse than I remember. <laughs> it, it, wasn't, it wasn't great. You, you know the highest-ranked team they played that year? Uh, Oklahoma. Mm, Kansas. Wow, at home. And they lost at home, right? 43-28. I think that was homecoming. Yep, I was there. Uh, Kansas Man, Mangino was, come to town. Yeah, Kansas was ranked number five. That was right after they lost 38-35 to number 14, Texas. And then they got drubbed uh, in Norman, 49-17. And then they was just that, th- that Texas game was the Jamal Charles game, wasn't it? Uh, I, think, I thought it was the comeback where Colt had like four touchdown passes in the fourth quarter. Yeah, in Stillwater, right? Yeah. Yeah, and Jamal Charles ran for like 200 yards too. Yeah, yeah was, Oklahoma's... Oklahoma State went up 35-14. This is great radio, by the way. Oklahoma State went up 35-14 with 8.40 left in the third and lost. Yep. That was when they just could not beat Texas. But, no, that, that 2007 defense, Kyle, was, the I think, the worst the worst defense they've had. Because even in, like, 05, Gundy's first year, like, they still had some of, like, Les Miles' guys on defense where they weren't, they weren't good, but they weren't that bad. Like, 07 was terrible. I mean, they had pros on the defense. They had Jacob Lacey. They had Parrish Cox. Uh, yeah, that might be the only pros they had. Ugo Chinasa? They had Ugo Chinasa. He played in the pros. They had uh, Donovan, Patrick Levine. Andre Quint- Sexton? Quentin Moore, Andre Sexton, Nathan Peterson. Yeah. This team should have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they were. They were good. Uh, no, I, I'm, 
I, I think the quarterback situation is is more interesting now than it was a week ago, to be honest. And I, I think that people get frustrated. People just like take their stance and they get frustrated if you have a different stance. And I'm look, I'm sorry, like this is this has become storyline number one for Oklahoma State and we're gonna talk about it a lot and we're gonna write about it a lot and we're gonna think about it a lot and there's gonna be a lot of gifts and a lot of stats and it's all it's all fun. Like I, I just, people should just not get too worked up about it because it's football and you know, it'll, it'll play itself out. Um, Carson, we do need to talk unis because I think, I believe this is the only pod we're going to do this week. So we gotta, we gotta, we gotta preview. Am I putting you on the spot too much? No, I'm okay. ready. Let's get to this week's uniform preview brought to you by Chris's university spirit. Your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Just put in some new shirt orders through Chris's uh, for our PFB store. You can visit at pfbstore.com. They do all of our shirts. They do a great job. Uh, Got some some new mullet shirts, some new Big Daddy shirts. Uh, We're we're loaded up for the season. Um, But, Carson, uh, what's your prediction for – we already talked a little bit about kind of our review uh, for, for last Thursday's game on our, on our post-game show on Friday. People can check that out on YouTube. But uh, what's, your, what's your preview for Saturday against South Alabama? I'm just going to run it back, Kyle. I'm going to pick the same thing I picked last week. They didn't wow. go white-orange. They didn't go white-orange-white, uh, mainly because I think it was a Thursday maybe. That's why they went away from it. But first Saturday, I think they're going white-orange-white. I'll pick the same helmet. The uh, – badge with an orange face mask which we have not seen so that's kind of my it looks it'll look very similar to uh, the season opener against Tulsa where they had the Patriot Pete with the orange face mask orange jersey white pants so that's what I'm going with I like that I I think I'm gonna go I'm gonna switch it up a little bit night game it'll be a little bit cooler I think I'm gonna go white black white Mm, I like that and I'm gonna go instead of the badge I'm gonna go brand on the helmet and then uh, black top, white pants. They've worn that. Uh, they've worn it before. I, I don't. I don't remember the last time they wore it. But uh, well, I don't know. Isn't that, isn't that the Baylor combo from 2013? Mm, it is the Clint Shelf game. Great call. They wore that. I think they had the the uh, the black OSU brand on that helmet. Oh yeah, that's a yeah. I'd love to see that helmet again. I, I'm yeah. all for the the chrome one, but just the black brand is is pretty sweet on the white helmet with the black jersey. Yeah, it's great. They that was uh wasn't that the they wore that against Colorado, the Whedon game? That was white. Yeah, yeah, they wore that one too. Yeah. But did they have the black OSU on the helmet? The bite brand on the helmet? Yep, with black jersey, black yeah, pants. It's great. Great look. But so the yeah. one against Baylor I think had a black face mask maybe with a stripe. Whereas Whedon yeah. I think was just the white helmet with the black brand. Yeah, you're right. So I'm going uh, chrome brand, black top, white pants. Okay, I like so, that. Yeah, we'll see. Um, okay, it should Let's, be it should be cooler because it was roughly eight thousand degrees last Thursday. That was as hot as I've been at a game in a while. It was hot. It was it was pretty brutal. And you were wearing long sleeves. Yeah, every day is every season is pullover season. It's the golf. It was a hundred and one degrees outside. Yeah, but the press box is. I mean, you got ice cream. It's air conditioned. It is kind of chilly in the press box. Yeah, uh, you, I wouldn't even had that in my bag. You were you were baking on top of the stadium though. Yeah, I was literally cooking. 
<laughs> I was being grilled like a damn fish. I was like fifty shades of red. I wish they would. I, I wish they would have cut to you on the video board, just sweating, just 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 pouring sweat on top of the stadium. That would have been. That would have been a great look in HD. Um, okay, let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit, and then we will come back and wrap things up. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head to toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly. Shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, uh, any final thoughts before we move on to uh, to Week 2 and, and the South Alabama game? Well, I thought... 4,000 beers is all they sold on Thursday? That doesn't seem like very many. Yeah, I I agree. Like, I know it's a Thursday night. It's a weeknight. Maybe that had a lot to do with it. But I was disappointed in the consumption of the crowd. That wasn't very good. Yeah, you think about how many people were there? 45? Something like that? Something like that. So Somewhere around there? That's only one for every 10 people? Yeah, not great. Yeah, that's 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 in, intriguing. What do you think of the video board? It's awesome. I, I mean, was shocked at how like used to it I got immediately. Like I didn't even like I just kind of looked at the replays and went about my you know I didn't I wasn't like just fawning over it as much as I thought I would be. I just kind of got used to it like right away, which it it was an awesome experience because you could actually see the replays, which yeah. I can't remember being able to see like the foot getting in bounds or not at the uh, Boone Pickens. <laughs> yeah. The, the Marcel Aitman catch in Bedlam last year, people like the seven people in the stands with binoculars. You're like, he, he's in, he got, yeah. he got it. He got a foot down. I'll never see. forget that sound. <laughs> uh, the Aitman play and every other replay, they'll show it in slow-mo and like, there's kind of a pause and then you just kind of hear like murmurs and grumbles from the crowd. <laughs> Everyone at the same time says, well, I can't see. It. And, <laughs> That's basically the sound everyone makes. Just, I don't, I don't, I don't. That's the whole crowd making that noise. <laughs> now when the, they showed the Tywin Wallace play last week, everyone was like, oh, together, because everybody could see he was out. <laughs> the one that That's I could have used fewer replays of was, uh, was Chuba getting his head snapped. Do you remember oh. that? The no. guy that got the guy that got ejected for targeting for Missouri. State. Oh yeah, they showed yeah. it like twenty times, and I was like, "Can we chill on on watching the, you know, the hundred yard dash champion get his neck snap back?" <laughs> but no, I I thought, and Kyle Boone wrote about this. People should go check out what he wrote. He did a really good job of sort of framing the way that Oklahoma State used it. I thought they did such a good job of using it as like alongside or excuse me using the old video boards alongside the big one and they use the big one for the right stuff like replays and you know getting the crowd pumped up or whatever and then they use the small ones which boone said looked like ipads on on the side of gal Gariba, <laughs> uh for statistics and things that you can still read it uh, but they didn't need to put all that stuff on on the big screen so 
I just, I, I don't know. I thought they did a, a really good job with it. Well, they're trying to get a little more hip. Like they kept showing, like after each play, they would show like a, on the smaller iPad boards, they would show like funny gifts that you see on Twitter all the time. Like they, they were showing those throughout. I noticed. Like there was yeah. one of like Dan, there was one of funny one of like Daniel Cormier at one point. Yeah. So it's, they're getting they're getting a little more creative with uh, their in-game presentation. I noticed. Did you see what Gundy said about why he thought that or why the board uh, was not on when the when they came out? Was he making another jab at Holder? Yeah, he goes, well, I, I just I thought it wasn't working, you know. And then I thought, well, maybe Holder's just saving money and he's just going to turn it on right before the game or something. <laughs> well, I, I loved how they did that, though. It built it built suspense for the yeah. uh, intro video. Yeah, it was great. Oh, by, by the way, I don't know if you read this, but uh, I, I wrote about it very briefly. I was uh, – I don't know how much I want to reveal on this, but I was flying home – during the end of the game and we flew sort of over the stadium and you, you could watch, like I I could like pretty clearly see on the video board, like what was happening. Wow. <laughs> You're getting a replay from like, up like above? if, if the, if the pilot had just like, I don't know if you can even do this, but just like held the plane in the same spot. Like I could have watched the game from an airplane. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. <laughs> It was insane. That's how. That's how. Like it's. It's really crazy. And you know, Gundy mentioned this on Monday, but it's just he. He talked about how he called Boone Pickens over the weekend, and was just like, man, this this is awesome. Like just to think about where Oklahoma State football has come, where it is now, and uh, the. I think the video board is just sort of a, a physical manifestation of that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. As Gundy said, how far they've come in in fifteen years. Um, pretty wild. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, uh, you don't know where you're headed this weekend, correct? Uh, I think I'll be in Norman. Okay. Chip Kelly. They're going to get destroyed. See if Chip Kelly wants to agree to become the OC in Stillwater after Yursich leaves. <laughs> okay, I'll ask him. Uh, <laughs> oh, you look any good? That's scary at all? Yeah, it's it's not ideal. Their defense is better, which is a little scary. I was listening for, to for uh, everyone else in the Big Twelve. I was listening to Colin Cowherd talk about how Lane Kiffin told him, like this was. I don't think it was in an, in in an interview. I think they were just chatting, texting, or something. And he's like, "Oh, he's unbelievable! Like every every phase, they're loaded." Well, they they beat them. Like they were Missouri State, and like Florida Atlantic was getting like some top twenty-five buzz this year. Yeah, and they wouldn't even a game. I know. The good news for Oklahoma State now with the Big Twelve title game, all you have to do is, like, I was talking about this with uh, with Chip Patterson uh, on our golf podcast today. I don't know why we started talking about football, but you you have to be the best of like four teams, right, to make it to the Big Twelve title game. Because Kansas, Kansas, whatever, Baylor's not going to be one of those four teams. Tech, uh, I, I don't think, is going to be one of those four teams. So you got to be the best of, like, Texas, West That's Virginia. That's not hard. West Virginia, yeah. West Virginia, TCU, and Iowa State, and maybe K-State. So maybe five five teams. Yeah, you're right. That's you, I never thought of it that you, way. That's all you have to do. I mean, again, it's – more difficult and really you just gotta beat you just gotta beat tcu as far as i'm tcu and west virginia it's it's kind of a round robin of those three osu tcu west virginia you're not a believer in the horns 
Did you watch them against Maryland? <laughs> the, the, the football powerhouse that is Maryland, who was embroiled in controversy and didn't have their head coach and still beat them? Texas stinks. They're awful. They have the, nothing the pro- to be excited about. The program stinks. I tried to tell everybody that was talking them up. I'm like, a, I'm, what, I'm, what is to I'm, get excited about? I might have voted them ahead of Oklahoma State in my Big 12 poll. I had them sixth. I, I can't remember what I had them. I, I can't look. I'm not going to look it up. I had them behind Kansas State. They have USC coming to town after this after Tulsa. Not good. Ellinger might not be good. Might? <laughs> I was up in the I was up in the press box. We were watching the game in Norman after OU played. We were kind of waiting around for our live shot. And there's like a group of us, like Barry Trammell was there and several others. And Ellinger had already thrown that horrible interception, and they're they're going on their last drive. And I kind of announced to the press box, I go, this is right about the time where Ellinger throws it to the other team. And a play later, he did, and the game was over. It was just too predictable. It's incredible. Like, I, I don't know how they can't figure it out. How could you trust him after, with your own eyes, seeing him throw it to Ramon Richards on one of the worst <laughs> passes in the history of football? Which all they need is a field goal to tie and move it to another overtime. He throws it yeah. up for grabs. Yeah, not good. Okay, uh, we need to we need to get out of here before we just start burning Texas to the ground. Uh, Carson, good time today. Thanks again to Mark Cooper for coming on. You should check out his podcast with Bill Hasten and Garen Emig. And yeah, we will talk again. Uh, we'll do, a, we'll try to do a post game on probably Sunday, uh, just depending on the timing. It's going to be another late game on Saturday night. So we'll, we'll try to get together on Sunday and then an, another podcast around this time next week. Sounds good. See you. Okay, then. Carson. Talk to you later.